And so personally, I try to think in comedy, I try to think like I'm serious, you know, I'm, well, yeah, I'm serious. I, I find the darkness of this play very, very tense. I feel mm -hmm. stressed when I'm in character. Same. Yeah. <laughs> My character is stressing through this whole play, so it's pretty, uh -huh. pretty intense. Okay, now I have an interesting question, at least I hope it is. When you are stressing through a play and you're done with the play, how do you de-stress? Deep breathing. <laughs> Try to find a comedy. I mean, Especially while you're still doing, while you're still doing the play, you try to find a comedy. Are you, are you just talking about well, like a movie or when, something? When I finish, yeah, try to find. Um, after I did uh, inherit the wind, I was eventually wiped out and caught Victor Victoria on TV. Yeah, and that. I think that was the easiest I'd ever had to get through the stress uh, of a, a show ending. Mm. That that makes sense. I I've actually yeah. done that too. Uh, my my go-to is What's Up Doc. I love that movie. Great movie. Great movie. I you, you can't stop laughing during the whole movie. It's just ridiculously funny and well done. Loved Madeline Kahn. Oh, she still that was her first movie. Yeah. Isn't that shocking? But <laughs> But yeah. That, so that's uh, what I do. But no, it's a uh, a good comedy will bring me out of that that depressive moment that you suddenly realize you're done with the show and you don't have those characters to fall back into. Yeah. Uh, during during the course of it Sometimes a good stiff drink helps. <laughs> I was waiting for someone to say that. Um, what about anybody else? Ooh, depending on if, if it really has affected me, I would definitely try to find something cheerful because, yeah, when you're, when you're that, if you're, into character sometimes, yeah, that's, sometimes it's a little hard to disengage, depending on how intense uh, the performance went at the time, but yeah, it's finding something lighthearted to uh, bring the mood up, Yeah, it's definitely, definitely a way of doing that. Kind of go the other way, I prefer to watch some kind of horror film. <laughs> because I scare myself, you know, through something, then the adrenaline gets out and it gets drained, and then so that stress, I become de-stressed afterwards. Uh -huh. so. Okay, so am I the only person that goes and raids the icebox? Apparently, uh -huh. I'm not I, a stress eater to begin with, so I I try not to because I have like a weight problem. So I'm more of a yoga girl, so it's either a comedy or yoga for me. Uh, Why not both? Well, I, yeah, sometimes, but not while I'm watching the show, because then I get, I, I, I almost fell on my head once when I was watching a comedy. <laughs> That's pretty good. 
pretty comical. <laughs> yeah, it's comical, but I could have broken my neck. <laughs> yeah, you know, black comedy at that time probably isn't uh, advised. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I, I, I usually, after I'm done, I do yoga. Um, I have, like, Chinese music with the bells and the bowls and everything. Oh, just that music relaxes me. And then I do my yoga, and then I watch my comedy. Hmm. Ariel, okay. what do you do? Yes. What do I you? like to deep breathe. Um, yoga is a great suggestion, but I, I often don't feel <laughs> after a, a really intense like scene or session, um, like really moving. <laughs> I just kind of need to lay there and breathe. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Well, in that case, oh. corpse pose will work. Exactly, that's yoga. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jay's part works you, too. You're belly you, breathing while laying there, corpse pose. Yeah, you could uh. you could also uh, do Jay's thing and eat. Well, yes. Sometimes I have tea after rehearsal. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> Definitely brings the mood up. When I'm really upset, I do fall back and get uh, yogurt and fruit and eat a whole bowl. Uh, but I try to do that. Fruit's good for you. Yeah, but you shouldn't have too much. I I mean, not... Uh, I Fruit is okay and yogurt's okay and having a bowl is okay, but you shouldn't indulge too much in that. I'm trying to be good, uh, guys. <laughs> all things in balance. Uh, One of my favorite things to say. Mm-hmm. All things in balance. Well, I also do Tai Chi, but that doesn't really help after I'm really stressed. It's supposed to, but I, I, it, because yeah, I'm still new to it, so I have to concentrate so hard on what the movements are. It's not exactly relaxing yet. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, that makes sense. Uh-huh. Once I get it down, then I'd probably be able to do it. But until, like I said, I I I started learning that this year, so I'm very uh, new. <laughs> I've known I've done yoga since I was 21 years old. Long time. They're 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 both of a type of moving meditation. They're just very different in how they uh, approach it. Well, I'm getting older, so I figured I better get a secondary in case I'm get too old for some of the movements of yoga. Oh, you could also, uh, I guess, learn the chair yoga. Yeah, I, 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 I try that. I just, uh, it's really not me. <laughs> no, I, I actually really like Tai Chi. I just have to learn the movements before I'm comfortable doing it when I'm not thinking. Does that make sense? It's like I know all of my positions in yoga. I don't have to think about it. Okay. Does that make sense? Uh-huh. Um, okay. So now I'm going to have each of you introduce yourself and tell me a little bit about your characters. Don't be nervous. We all love you. Um, I'm going to start... <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm panicking. Panicking. Ah. Okay. What is that character on SNL, Bill? 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Play-Doh character. Yeah. Yes. That, that yeah. Constantly beat up. That's what yeah. he sounds. Yes, Mr. Bill. That's what he sounded like. Uh, Mr. Bill. Oh no. Um. Okay. So since Ray's so voiceless, we'll start with Ray. <laughs> well, I am uh, the narrator, and the character itself is part of the story, but not involved with the interaction with the characters, with the others. Uh, also, I play Carl, and Carl has has been a love interest, or has been in love with uh, Tessa, and he, uh, well, he's had some issues, but he is a gentle, gentle giant, or a gentleman. I, I guess that, that is, uh, in the course of this show, not to uh, give a spoiler, uh, he, he gives his love to Tessa. Um, yeah, you forgot to say your name. Oh, my name? I'm Ray, Raymond, Brent, uh, and my character is the narrator and Carl. Okay. Is that what we were looking for? Well, you already said the character. I just wanted your name. Oh, my name, yes. <laughs> uh, which one? You just gave it. You're cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Um, Ariel, your turn. Hi, everybody. I'm Ariel Strauss-Bruland, and I play Dr. Stella Nikas Lambros, um, and that is her entire name. <laughs> she will go into exactly how she was named. Anyway, um, so Stella, <laughs> if you remember from the first one, she's the eccentric doctor, and uh, her love interest is also Tessa. Um, yeah, so... Uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to spoil the last one that we were doing because it kind of goes into this one a bit. You could spoil the last play. The last play's already out, so if you want to talk okay. about the last right. play, you if can. You were, if you tuned into the last one, you know that they wind up together, Stella and Tessa, and this one they start out together, and all of a sudden something tragic happens at the hospital and Stella's completely pulled away from this new exciting love interest and um, yeah it's, it's taken a dark turn <laughs> yeah it's it's a difficult it's a difficult play but it's really a well done play mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and I really like the relationship aspects, not just between her and Tessa, but between Stella and her patients. She is not like any other doctor. She really, really deeply cares about each and every individual that she takes care of. And uh, this one is going to really, going to really break her heart, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's really good. It's uh, These guys are so good. I'm so proud of them. Um, okay, Janae, you're next. Hi, I'm Janae Ray Spano. I play uh, Tessa, and um, evidently I 
I'm a very popular person. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm Tessa Mitzos. Uh, I'm a very conflicted young woman who's plagued by visions and uh, my greatest fear, uh, the vision that I had the greatest fear of is uh, um, the focus of this, this particular chapter and it leaves me having to uh, face a new reality. Yep. That's a good way Without to put it. Without giving away too much. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> perfect. You, you didn't go too far, but you gave enough that people understand. So that's perfect. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, Jay? Hi. My name is Jay. I play a character called George. We met him in our first episode last year, and George is best described as, you know, just this nice gentleman that for reasons unknown to us, as, as a patient in the hospital, he has felt the need to hide and become the personality of this Roman centurion. And he will do this and approach everybody this way, you know, you know, challenging them when they enter the room. But once he knows you and confirms you're there, his busybody side comes out, and he's going to give you the events of the day and who's visiting who, his own little gazette that he will share with the people of the hospital. Others will make fun of him for this, just like, oh, it's just George. We'll, we'll find out from, we'll find out about that later on. Yeah. And he's been a lot of, he's just been a lot of fun to play, and he's somebody that the first time I read him, I just felt I knew exactly who he was and how I wanted to bring him out. He did a really good job. It's excellent. Um, okay, um, the other Jay? <laughs> hi, <clears throat> excuse me, hi, I'm Jay Blanchett, and I play Daphne, Daphne Mitzos. I'm the older sister of Tessa Mitzos, and I would have to say she doesn't appreciate me enough. I have done so much for her in the previous play, and I will do much more for her in this one. <laughs> that's, that's perfect. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, that's that's got that character yeah. right on the line. Yep, got it. Um, okay, Mo. I am Mo, and I am Mrs. Papa, and Mrs. Papa is the somewhat neurotic uh, neighbor to Stella, who uh, is probably the neighborhood gossip, and uh, you know was just a bit over dramatic, but she's lovable over dramatic. Yeah, that's true. She's she's quite adorable. <laughs> um, okay, so now we know who you're playing. How do you feel about your characters? Um, I'm gonna mix it up. Let's see. I'll go to Janae this time. Okay. Um. Let's see. It's. Well, Tessa, I get to, uh, this time I get to explore the fact that she has to face her future instead of run from it. So she's becoming even more exciting um, because things are happening in her life now that can give her hope where she hasn't had a lot of hope before. And so I'm, I'm finding her 
but you're quite exciting um, in this continuation, and I can't I can't wait to see where she goes. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Okay, let's uh, uh, JW. <laughs> George, I'm absolutely love this character. He's been fun. He's just a little bit bigger than life on page, and I've tried to, I tried to honor that there. And in this this episode, I'm really enjoying it as I feel I'm getting to allow George to reach his potential and even have him accomplish everything he's wanted to be, and basically everything that caused him to be in the hospital. So I'm just. I think this is just his opportunity to shine and be finally be happy with himself. Yeah, that's true. Very touching. You do a very good job. Um, okay, Mo. Well, with uh, Mrs. Papa, um, though she is a limited character here, I think that she has a huge heart, and I actually appreciate her because she shows that to Stella. Uh, she's obviously very concerned about this young woman and probably sees herself as the mother hen to Stella <laughs> or she sees herself as just the, um, the all-important older neighbor, you know, senior mind here. That's really sweet, and it's true. It's very, very true. Um, okay. Uh, JB. Okay, I tend to view my character as the older sister from hell in some ways <laughs> because she means well, but she has a personality that's kind of out of control at times. And I also find myself interacting with Stella in a way that makes it difficult for both of us. I've never seen her as an adversary before, but things change. Um, Ariel, how about you? Well, I mean, I've I've loved Stella as a character since the last one. Um, she's just completely authentic, totally true to herself. Um, she's a powerhouse, and I like the way she deals very no-nonsense with her boss, <laughs> Dr. Canada. Um, and also, in this one, she's, you get to see a bit of her sensitive side. You know, she's falling in love for the first time since her husband died. And um, she's also having to navigate this huge tragedy that's going on at the hospital while also simultaneously trying to hide the fact of Tessa's um, existence from her sister. <laughs> so it's, she's juggling a lot in this one. She's very, very stressed, but I have thoroughly enjoyed playing her, and I would love to do a third one at some point. Yeah, I, I I think she's continuing. She can't leave it like the way she has it. No, she can't. <laughs> yeah, it's got to continue. It's got to continue. <laughs> Absolutely has to continue. It, it's it's got a very dramatic ending. We don't want to leave it there. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. <laughs> um, I'm sure Mary's going to continue it. Um, but it just my next thing is. First, how do you guys feel about doing radio theater? Some of you have been doing it for a while, and some of you are new, so I'd like a mix. Anybody can answer. 
I know that we were talking about, uh, you know, insecurities earlier, but uh, just in the short experience that I've had, uh, you know, doing this, uh, I find that it's, for me, there's a, uh, I don't have those same insecurities because I'm not having to worry about what the rest of me is doing. It is worrying about everything from my diaphragm up. Mm-hmm. And it's a different set of uh, muscles that you're using as an actor because it's all your voice. Um, anybody else? Um, I've uh, really enjoyed doing the radio plays because it, with my busy schedule, it allows me to be able to act and put myself out there. And I, I love it, especially since I, lo- I love playing with accents. I love playing with sounds. So it's, it's been a really good avenue for me. That's great. Um, anybody else? Okay. Yeah. Well, I... I- same boat as Janae. Um, like I haven't been on a stage physically in like seven years, and having this has been really tremendous uh, to keep my acting muscle going. And I've loved being able to do different voices for characters I probably would never be able to play on a stage. So it's it's been great. <laughs> That's one of my favorite I... parts of it is that you can play all these different characters that you would never be cast in. Well, that's, a- I, that's, that's I, I was going to say, I enjoy doing it because it gives me an opportunity to stay close to learning characters um, and doing characters that I would never be allowed to do on stage. When you reach the age I am, uh, you can't play the young, dashing uh, hero you're you're generally the character the character actor and that's that's this gives me a wonderful opportunity to uh, explore those characters somebody that i wouldn't be able to do on in live theater Well, yes, I would have to reiterate that I agree um, having a busy schedule uh, allows well, limitations, but this allows me to deal with that and be able to work this type of uh, activity in on the weekends. The other part I like about it is, um, like Raymond, I would never be cast as a Greek heiress. <laughs> I guarantee you that would never happen if it was in person. But I can fake it online. Yeah, yeah you can play any part. I, I, I should also include that my wife likes it because I don't have to leave home. Yeah. She knows where you are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. JW, do I'm you have anything? Uh, okay. Um, all right. So the next one is... All right. So... We're doing five plays this year. We're going to do all different kinds. What do you think about, you know, you're going to finish this one, and then not everybody will be cast, but um, you'll be cast sometime in the different plays. So 
when you pop in one character and you pop out and you're doing a new character, what do you do to, um, you know, to get ready for it? To How do you uh, get yourself positioned to be a totally different character? Anybody? Um, uh, being that I'm a writer, I'm constantly several different characters in my head at once all the time anyways. <laughs> <laughs> I know what that's like. <laughs> so it's just a matter of knowing which character it is and who they are, where they are. Um, that helps me build who the new character is. So makes it. I've got characters bouncing around my brain all the time. So, <laughs> Well, my question is basically, when you're acting on stage, you have mm -hmm. d different things that help you process the character you have, the, you know, the character itself, reading oh, yeah. the, the play, uh -huh. and then you get uh, the, the movement, the blocking, and then right. the final part is the costume. But all you have as doing this kind of work is just your voice. So is there uh -huh. a way you pre prepare your mind and your voice? Your body, too, because you do, I mean, I move my hands in my body when I'm when I'm acting, even though nobody can see me. Uh, um, do you do that? Anybody? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I usually... That's why my characters tend to sound. I try to make sure that they sound different from each other, for one. So, yeah, I talk with my hands more when I'm when I'm acting than I do if I'm just speaking normally. I think something that helps me visualize, because I'm a very visual person, is to visualize the character. What are they wearing, and what do they do during the day when they're not on stage, as if they were a real person. Yeah, that helps me become that person more. Um, obviously, what do they sound like? That's important, too. Actually, that's the most important. That's <laughs> the most important part, right, yeah. of course. Yeah. I, I, I definitely still have different facial expressions depending on... I, I'm still reacting facially and with body language, even though I'm not where anybody can see me. It's, it's part of how I, I do act, even just doing a voice. I'm, I'll still have facial expressions. I'll still have facial expressions to react to the other people's lines and all that. I, I let the I let the character kind of live, even if you can't see me. And the only thing I'm not doing is walking around. Yeah. <laughs> but other than that, uh, shrugs, uh, slumping, you know, thing, things like that. Body language still happens. Mhm. Mm Anyone else? I'll go. I'm I'm from. It's the same with these other ones. I mean, everybody else, I'll sit there and I know the character's coming up. It's okay the first time in this show. And I'll go on mute and just kind of say, get the line I want. And they go, no, that's not it. That's it. Ah, there you are. And then once I have got that, I'm ready to go. But at the same time, I, I've noticed I adopt a posture for who I, I think he is, how they hold themselves, how they, you know, how they turn the head and any particular arm motions that are going on. Like so many have said, when I am talking, I am gesturing, I am turning my head one way or the other, or to forcefully look 
on what's being said. I mean, since we're using, you know, this um, the Skype. At times when I'm looking for talking to a particular character, I will actually focus on that character on the screen so I know who I'm talking to, and it makes it easier to visualize how I need that to be said. Yeah, that's good. I, I also okay. listen to what the other characters are saying, mm -hmm. especially if I am in the in the scene with them, other than being the uh, narrator. I am in the scene with them. So if they have a very strong moment, and I'm supposed to be strong too, I can react that way. If I'm supposed to be the weak uh, milk toast, that way I, I can respond elsewhere. And it makes it a much stronger feeling if I respond to them in the, in the way that it would be normally responded to in real life and that that's really what theater what we do here is we become real life for a few minutes and take people out of the where they've been and give them an opportunity to see another world that's true and a lot of people have never seen theater they couldn't afford it so this is their chance uh -huh. to experience it, even if it's radio theater, it is theater, and it's, maybe we hook some people to the sound of uh, radio theater just because they've never done that before. And that's how this audience builds. Well, in, in the old, in the old, before television, it was all in the mind, mm -hmm. and this is nothing more than theater to the mind. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. My parents said they used to stare at the radio. I always thought it was kind of funny when I was little, but I understand it now. They, I, I said, you mean like a television? I said, but they're so small because the radios were not, I mean, they'd have a big appliance that I was in, but the actual radio was tiny in the middle of it. And I said, but they're so small. And he goes, but that's not, we're staring at it, but we're using our imaginations. And I go, oh. That's when I was a little girl. <laughs> but, yeah, I've been interested in radio theater since my parents used to tell me about all the great radio shows. I've been listening to them since I was a child. Have you guys listened to um, the classic radio shows? Oh, I, yeah. I grew up listening to Jack Benny. Yeah. I, 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 I was young enough at that time to know what who Jack Benny was and actually listen to the radio while he was doing live who he was while he was doing live broadcast on the radio. Um, I remember the Lone Ranger. I had it. I didn't get a TV until I was about eight. So I had the radio and the radio, radio uh, drama. Yeah, I so, I understand that. Uh, Go ahead, today. Every year at Christmas time, at least in the uh, Portland area where I grew up, there used to be um, the Cinnamon Bear, which was a radio play that was it, it was always broadcast. Uh, in December. 
I used to, I, I like um, A Christmas Carol. They have a radio play with that. I think it's with Patrick Stewart now. He did. I think he did one. Uh-huh. And see, I'm one of the ones, you know, I have the, the, old, the classic radio. You know, when I go to work, that is very common. I'm listening to that going back and forth. It's gotten me through several long drives, but I fell in love with the old-time radio shows when I was a kid. And just go down to the local library and check out the cassette tapes of a radio show mm-hmm. so I can go and listen to it and discover all these are all about. Uh-huh. Anyone else? I think getting into it's going back to okay. Sorry, <laughs> I'm just responding to Jay. Like I didn't know you could check out radio shows from the library. Like I actually work in a library, and like mostly what we have on tape are audiobooks and um, TV shows and like music CDs. I've never seen radio theater. Oh, oh they, it was the seventies. Yeah, they do. I, I know that there's the uh, what is it big. Finish does a lot of old uh, BBC shows as continues them as radio plays. So there, there's a big market for it outside of the U.S. at least. So yeah, yeah. Doctor Who is a big thing. Yeah, there's yeah there's been a lot of Doctor Who, um, and I think they were going to do some of the Blake Seven and stuff like that. But yeah, the old site. Uh, you know, the science fiction that they can't necessarily do live anymore or if they've moved on like with Doctor Who if they've moved on with doctors they've brought some of the other doctors back to doing that so there's Big Finish definitely has a lot of uh, radio plays that are modern also you can uh, hear radio plays even though it's YouTube on YouTube you can go and put radio play Jack Benny or radio play Gracie and George, or um, radio play Jane Austen, or radio play Agatha Christie, and you, it, you, I mean, they're going to show a picture of like Agatha Christie or Jane Austen or something. You, that's what you'll have up. But usually, when you're uh, listening to that, you're not staring at the picture because it's it's a radio play. But they do have quite a bit of it on there, um, Ariel, if if you wow. want to check it out. Yeah, I think it's definitely something we should bring back to the library if we don't have a database for it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I actually was listening to one of um, Agatha's original plays, um, Spider's Web, on on YouTube, um, uh, the the radio play of it. And I had never seen the play, so I wanted to at least hear it. Because the movie wasn't like the play, because I had read the play and it was just not the same thing. So I had a. That's another thing. When they make a movie of a play, it's it's always adapted, so it's never going to be the same as the play. It's, well, it's rarely the same as the play. But when you watch a radio show adaptation, ninety nine times it is exactly like the play. I mean, you could probably read your script with it. A couple of years ago, I think it might have been last year, they they redid the staged version of Hamlet at the Old Globe, but with the same cast, and they did it as a radio play. And it was only two hours, but like I could recall certain moments from the exact play. Um, ah. Just based on the sound effects and uh, the way the characters were saying their lines, like I just recall, I recalled so much of the, the 
play in the theater just from them reciting their lines. <laughs> it was pretty fascinating. Is that the yeah, old globe? That is that the old globe in England or the old globe here in San Diego? No, here in San Diego. Oh, yeah, I love going to their Shakespeare plays. They're they're really good. Yeah. I I heard that play online, and what was interesting about it was that. All of the people who were acting in it you know, set up their own sound stages at home. Mm -hmm. Right. And exactly. yeah. I thought, oh, that's, and they did a very good job. And yeah, uh, added in the fight scene sounds later, and it was every, everything was great. So. Actually, during the shutdown, I was uh, watching an Australian group called Streams Shakespeare, and they do a really good job. Have it, has anybody seen it? Uh -huh. Oh, I recommend it because well, that's not actually radio theater. That's theater. Um, they they actually have backgrounds matching. So when they're in the woods, everybody has the same woods background. It's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's not radio theater, but I just thought I'd throw that out there because if you like Shakespeare and you can't get to um, a theater for whatever reason, it's a really good uh, thing to listen to. Like I said, uh, radio plays are great, but I just want people to love theater. <laughs> so I uh, I grew up in Odessa, Texas. If you've never been there, it's just uh, it's just a big you know bubble of oil as you're going through uh, town. But they do have a recreation or a recreation of the Globe Theater and the Anne Hathaway House. And that's where I spent a lot of my time because my dad was in quite a few plays at the Globe, and they did uh, a lot of the uh, uh, Shakespearean plays there, too. So it was really cool to be able to see that and see how it's set up and the acoustics. So, uh, is, it, is, it, is it like the one here in San Diego is a replica of the one in England? Yes. That's cool. I didn't know there was one there. I, I hey probably have old globes everywhere in the world. <laughs> it's the most popular, most uh, well-known theater in the world. <laughs> yeah, I wonder uh, how many there were. <laughs> I I yeah now I really want to look it up. How many uh, old globe uh, uh, replicas are there around the uh, world? Well, you know they uh -huh. uh, after the. Uh, we had a fire in San Diego in the 70s, but the Old Globe had a fire in, was it 2000 and something? I forgot what year it was. But they had to rebuild that Old Globe, too. Um, so, you know, it's, it, it's one of the dangers of theaters is the wood. <laughs> a lot of wood. <laughs> and um, unfortunately, they do happen. Fires. Um, so my next question is when you're doing um, a radio play like uh, Mary's do you do any research? Sometimes I do. Um, whenever I come across some kind of historical tidbit that she likes to put into her work mm -hmm. I'm curious. You know, I'd, I'd like to know more about you know, what aspect of uh, Greek society, perhaps, that she's trying to incorporate. Mm -hmm. And given that we're set, you know, in a period piece, really, mm -hmm. 
I'd like to know a little bit more about World War One, because we have patients here who have suffered uh, from various injuries that were somewhat unique to that war. Yeah, actually, World War One, especially for British and Australians, they had more peop- men killed from that war than World War Two, Vietnam. Um, from just this is battlefield. This is not bombing and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a it was a terrible war. Uh, World War Two was a terrible war because of the ordinances and and the bombings and and uh, the bombing of civilians and stuff like that. That's why that was and of course what was happening on the ground in Germany, the Holocaust and stuff. Um, but a World War One for fighting on the ground was there was the most casualties. There were hardly any men that came back, and the ones who did were not the same. They were wounded in all different kinds of ways. It, it was a terrible war. That's why they had the twenties. They wanted to forget, which it didn't well, work, of course. If you're wanting to. Uh and I, I'm trying to remember the name of it. Peter Jackson took old footage that was shot during World War One. Yeah, it's in color. And and colorized it. He had lip readers who could give what the dialogue that they were talking about and interjected it all into that. And it's a marvelous documentary. But... Uh, and I'm trying to think of the name of the movie. But it definitely gives you a, a feel of what they were going through. It was a documentary, I, right? It is a documentary, yeah. I don't, I can't, I, I don't remember what he called it. Just look up Peter Jackson when put World War One. I'm sure it'll pop up. Okay, I already did. It's called They Shall Not Grow Old. That's it. Thank you. That's it. He did it in 2018. Right. I love his documentaries. Uh, my, one of my favorites was uh, the 1920s that he did. That, uh, uh, also about, um, when, there's one about suffragettes, and there was one about alcohol and its effect through the uh, years. He does incredibly interesting, important documentaries, really. Okay, are we talking about Peter Jackson, or are we talking about um, Ken Burns? Oh, I'm sorry. I just got it mixed up. You're right. It's Ken yeah. Burns who did those. Yeah, because I, 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 I know I'm old. The, uh, I forget. <laughs> uh, but uh, I... I I recognize the uh, one that he did on uh, uh, the prohibition. The prohibition. And, yeah. So, yeah, it was yeah. his stuff is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Both of them do really good. I love documentaries. Yeah. You learn so much. Mm-hmm. And, and um, I was watching one. It's called The New F Word, and it was about feminism. And it was about how a lot of people in the younger generation are afraid to call themselves 
a feminist because of the stereotypes that people put on people that are called feminists. And uh, these were people, the the younger women that were feminists that were in it goes, we're the third wave. We have to start working at it. And it, it was a very interesting documentary. I actually like watching documentaries because it gives me, I love movies. I love all movies, but I love watching documentaries because of the reality of it. I would, I would have to agree. I watched one yesterday called The Jane. Oh, I saw and that too. Oh my you God! You saw that one too. Oh, that was fantastic. That, so oh. the Janes, it is a documentary about, uh, you know, during the fifties and sixties, uh, illegal the abortion. Women who would who would do and uh, who would do abortions, and just what they stood for. And it was it was uh, you know these women going into this 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 field that they really didn't know anything about. They just knew that there were so there were so many and uh, there were so many families and women who were, you know, just, just they, they they could not, you know, go any further with this and and um, uh, and they were know, all they nurses. Be reputable. And they were yes. all nurses. Yes. And it, it was uh, uh, I thought it was I thought it was fantastic. I, I think that it was one of the most, because they were willing to go to jail uh-huh. to help these women. They were all nurses, and they went up against the mob. Yes. And it wasn't just the hacks who are illegal abortionists. They they were, the mob was doing it, so the mob was threatening to kill them for going into their territory. Yeah, I don't know. I think um, uh, when I watched that, I was I was like, um, I like I didn't like it, but I thought that the car reference was interesting. Do you want you know? Do you want a Chevrolet? Do you want a Cadillac? Or do you want a, a Rolls Royce? Yeah, and that was the it mob. was talking about. Do you want just a cheapo? Hey, you can die. You got like about a seventy five percent chance of dying. Do you want the sh- you know the uh, the uh, Cadillac, which oh, you got about fifty fifty chance, or the roll you know the Rolls Royce, which is you got about twenty five percent chance. So uh, uh, I I uh, enjoyed that reference because of that whole um, you know just code speak. But as far as documentaries, uh, I I can sit and watch documentaries all day long and different ones from different periods of time. Uh, I love the historical aspect to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, the one about the suffragettes, that was eye-opening. It was, because it was, um, you know, they were force-fed, they, they were beaten uh, on the streets because they wore those white outfits. It was, it was, it was, you know, when women say women died to give us the vote, our generation, they weren't kidding. It's fascinating and sad. Did you ever see the movie um, Iron Jawed Angels with Hillary Swank? 
No, I haven't seen that. Uh, uh, Alice Pummel, I believe her name was. She was a suffragette. Um, it's it's a harrowing film. I, I mean, I, I don't watch it if you're weak of the stomach. <laughs> uh. But um, yeah, it's it's incredible what these women went through to get us to vote. Like it's it's unbelievable. And we will see it again. Yeah. I don't know. I I, I hate to say that we will see it again because. Well, that's another. Well, we area. see what's happening now. Yeah, and yeah, we yeah. we see what's happening now. It's so. scary time. You know, uh, I I saw one, and I wanted to to say something about the men as well. I I, I cannot for the life of me remember what, what it was called, the documentary, and it was on men who had come back home from World War II, mm-hmm. and they've got their families, and they have to get back into the workforce, and how are they dealing with it? And many of them did not deal with it very well. That's why you had a lot of them leave their families, leave their wives and children. It wasn't because they were being, you know, facetious or just they weren't they weren't being assholes on purpose. Many of them were shell shocked and they were suffering from severe PTSD and they didn't know how to handle it. And during that time period, you know, spousal abuse it wasn't a thing. Uh, if you had an abusive husband, you just had to go home and you know you married him. That's your husband. And if you had children, well, you had to be there for your children. But it was uh, it was it was done from the from the perspective there were only two World War II veterans who were able to speak, and uh, the rest were the children of and what they remembered about the struggle that their fathers had to go through of coming home and reacclimating into family life and just how difficult that was, and that. We, in you know, in, in generations going further, have no understanding, or our military men and women now, you know, they they understand from from uh, uh, the Gulf War and such. But during that time period in the 70s and the 80s, oh, you know, 70s, because you had Vietnam vets coming back. Uh-huh. But it was so, uh, it was very eye-opening on just how traumatic. Uh, and culture, you know, just the, the culture shock of being at war and then coming home and having to just, you know, bury it. You bury it and you don't talk about it. And how it messed so many men up that they really lost. Um, there were several who said that their fathers was like they had lost a part of their their humanity because it was just, it was taken away from them. And they were expected to come back and just get back into father or husband role. And how do you do that? And there was no, there really wasn't anyone there who could give them the steps on how to get back into normal everyday life. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, we're coming to the end of the show because we're running out of time. Um, I I wanted to get your closing thoughts uh, about the play. It'll be opening next month. Um, whatever you want to say. Anybody? It's a great story. It's not ending anytime soon. I think people should listen in and listen again and again. Yes. Yes. The story. Go ahead. 
this is definitely an exciting chapter. Um, there's a lot going on, and so please do tune in for the second chapter of our uh, story. Yes, there are yeah. a lot of really touching moments that you're not going to want to miss from this one, so stay tuned. There, there's a lot that's in this that you can take into the compassion of for your fellow human being. It's it maybe a fic, fictional story, but there's in any fiction story that is as emotional as this, there are things that you can take back into your reality. Yeah. Um, is that everybody? I I I think it's beautiful. I think it is a beautiful story. Uh, just the second part. I know I I didn't get to do the first, but this it's beautiful and it is dark and you see just uh, how committed people are uh, in their roles in life, not just as doctor but also as the patient. How committed they were in each other um, and. I let my son read the second part of this, and my son is gay, and he said, uh, uh, it's really great to see something that's written from a much older perspective that still brings light to the LGBTQ plus community. Yeah, yeah, that's one of the good things uh, about the plays that we put on. They're always very positive about, and very diverse, and all original, um, every author and playwright that comes and does a play does it uh, for us only. Um, they'll, they'll once uh, the play has been done, then they'll, they may put it on stage or something. But it's it's special. These plays are special, and Mary's one of our best, and I'm so proud of her. And her stuff is amazing. Um, I want to thank you guys for being on my show. I hope you guys enjoyed it. <laughs> thank you, Sherry. Yes. yes. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Sherry. Thank you. Thanks, Sherry. Thank you. And everybody, if you can, please listen to our play that it will be in August. Please watch All My Spaces, and I will give you an exact date. And thank you for chatting with Sherry. Thank you.